0: Certainly any artwork, I think, uh, has to have plot. And if you can have subplots and then other sort of sub-subplots, I think that makes for an interesting image. You might not notice it first look, but there's some depth to it. So, okay, this is an image i
1: This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine.
0: Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation.
1: Well, hello everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today we're going to Australia. It is hard winter as I'm recording this right now here in, in the center part of North America, which means it's the middle of summer. What beautiful season down there. And we're talking with Ray Harris. Ray is a graduate of the Australian Film and Television School, got a degree in cinematography. His professional career was in videography and special effects. He was even the head of the camera department of Network Film Corporation for a short while. Ray has just recently come back to still photography and has given evidence on our site and elsewhere of a really compelling sense of form and line and shape, a, a way that the geometries of composition come together. I'm looking forward to today's conversation really, really quite a lot. Ray, welcome. How are you doing? How's life in Australia this morning? It's wonderful
0: this morning. Beautiful, sunny. It's a bit get to about 31 degrees uh,
1: centigrade, and uh, hello to everybody out there. (laughs) So, I mean, bring people up to speed. How did you get into cinematography? How did you get into motion pictures? And what's the special effects background that you got here?
0: Okay, so it begins in uh, high school when uh, my uh, high school was one of the only high schools in Australia to have a small television studio. This is back in the 70s and they ran a film and television course and it actually changed the direction of my high school. I was doing pure maths and science and then I did this uh, course in film and television, fell in love with it, changed over and studied art instead. At the same time, my next-door neighbour happened to work for Minolta okay. When he found out, of course, that we were doing this course, he lent me a Super 8 camera, which I then used as a sort of a demonstration to prove how easy it was for people to use. But also I was able to get a Minotra SRT303 through my neighbour. And so I pursued uh, film and television through high school and also uh, photography doing things for the student newspaper and so forth.
1: Did you know at that time that, you know, the films, the the, the cinemas, that kind of stuff was going to be your professional life or was it just a hobby?
0: Uh, No, it was just a hobby at that time and it was an interest. I mean, in fact, when I finished high school, I went into uh, studying teaching and decided that wasn't for me. <laughs> and that's when I encountered what was then called the Melbourne Access Video and Media Cooperative, which became the first community TV station called Open Channel. Oh, very cool. And so I then went there and studied there. I went and did courses there and eventually uh, was put on staff. And I um, taught people how to um, do video and operated as a freelance camera operator or editor
1: general videographer. Mm-hmm. Were, were you doing mostly the tech side? Did you have some uh, artistic input here? T- tell me about the, the, the appeal of the early days.
0: Well, um, it was both tech and artistic side. So I was also studying art, and that's when I, I really got into the history of art, and I was always wanting to go to the galleries and, and studying art. And so there was a crossover because that tech side and the artistic side now one of the interesting things about open channel was that they were not only doing community video work but they were getting video artists in to use the studio facilities early video art movement in melbourne through open channel and so introduced to a lot of artistic ideas through that Some crazy
1: <laughs> <laughs> do, do you remember one or two in particular
0: Well, I don't know if your listeners will be familiar with the work of Stelarc, and Stelarc is known for pushing the limits of the human body. He's known for hanging himself up on meat hooks in galleries.
1: Oh, that sounds Um, pleasant.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, he's getting into a meditative state. It's into transhumanism, the idea of transhumanism, transcending the human form. Later on he started to attach robotics through his body and have a, a robotic arm and
1: mm-hmm.
0: extend the, the human form. So he's the most famous one there, but I don't know if the listeners would be familiar with other video artists in Melbourne of the time.
1: But nonetheless, it seems like a pretty avant-garde place when um, it was lending itself out for hire.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We had some crazy sort of happenings going on and, um, and we'd have, uh, I remember, a theatre company coming over from the Netherlands mm-hmm. and putting on a uh, performance, uh, first part which was in ancient Greek and then it was in modern Greek and then it was in English and we filmed that. And uh, we had another group that did this um, theatre piece uh, about Australian culture, Melbourne culture of football, Aussie rules football, and we went out to football clubs And they did this performance and the footballers weren't that impressed with that because it was looking at issues of masculinity. And this Mm -hmm. was back in the 70s. Right. Challenging stuff for the footballers.
1: Oh, man. So tell me how this is getting into your own work then. I mean, tell me how these influences are are beginning to shape who you're going to become.
0: Interest in art, interest in anything avant-garde, technical. I have both sides one part of me is very formal very classical so uh, an influence early influence in photography was uh, Robert Mapplethorpe so there's that side of me but there's another experimental avant-garde break the boundaries break the rules try everything different but also because it was in video I became a digital advocate and not so much of a film romantic Right. Even though at the same time I was taking uh, interest in photography and and using uh, stills,
1: mm-hmm. so you say you spent some time away from photography and, and and before we come to the return, what'd you do? What you know? What what did you do when you were not a photographer?
0: Well, after Open Channel, I went to the Film and TV School, uh, the Australian Film and TV School. And that's where I got into the film side of it, cinematography, but also into special effects. The end of all of that happens in 86. I'm working in special effects with a company called Network Film Corporation. And at that time, the Australian government pulls a uh, tax uh, benefit that had sustained the Australian film industry and the film industry effectively collapsed. And we went from producing 30 feature films a year to about three. And everybody I knew sort of lost their jobs. I had had a friend who owned a whole lighting truck. He lost that and he ended up driving taxis. So Australian film industry goes through boom and bust phases. And so I was um, Network Film Corporation. There were two special effects facilities in Sydney at the time and they both uh, closed. Oh my! And so, what what did you do? Ah, I went off into other areas of life, which are <laughs> probably not not um, the subject of this uh, podcast, but.
1: Well you know those other areas of life you know again we, we can talk about this after we close down the recording, but man those are interesting for all of us you know they they, they, they feed what becomes our uh, artistic foundation and boy we, we start pulling on on some deep deep threads there
0: well I can, I can say that I went into uh, Indian philosophy I, okay. I actually lived in an ashram for a while but I studied Indian philosophy and so Indian aesthetics really informs my work as well.
1: You know, looking at your work, I would not have guessed that, but now that I'm looking at it again, I'm thinking, absolutely, I I can see some of those influences. We'll we'll get there in a second. So you do come back to still photography.
0: Still photography was always there. So I would still be doing um, work in stills, um, so always alongside. So when I was um, working in special effects, I'd still go out on weekends with my camera and do my more artistic work. Mm-hmm. And there are themes back in those days from those earlier ones. And in fact, I have published a couple of those on the Frames uh, Facebook page. So there is a continuity uh, from that time, which was in the 80s, to uh, when I pick up the camera again after I've retired just a
1: couple of years ago. Oh, my. Okay. The one of the things that I'm really impressed with with your work is is the sense of design, just the basic sense of composition, and 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 not only physical structures but composing colors uh, as well. You know the image that you had on the. Frame's website called the Blue Bin is, I think, you know a magnificent example of that. And, and one of the things that struck me in, in your description of how that image came to be is you say, on this day, I decided to interpret the old state government building. And the verb struck me. You didn't go out to, to photograph. You didn't go out to capture. You went out to interpret. Is, is your work an active sense or an active interpretation when you go out?
0: I think so, yes, very much. I mean, I think any photography is interpretation anyway. So if you want to go out and just document, that's a a different thing altogether. But when you include that sort of aesthetic thing, you are interpreting, you're looking at, you're isolating, you're containing things within a frame and you're also selecting based on whether you like what you're looking at if you think it's got some sort of visual appeal, at least to
1: you. Mm-hmm. So d- d- tell, me, tell me why this little tableau here, th- th- this, this image, appealed to you. I mean, I mean, I can tell you what I like about it, but I want to hear your voice first.
0: Look, it, 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 I went uh, to the rear of this rather ordinary building, and I think you can find sort of geometry, colour combinations in quite the ordinary, and this is, goes back throughout my life in fact i, I would mention a, a painter an australian painter called jeffrey smart who is noted here in australia for doing rather geometric beautiful colored works of very ordinary things like freeways and shipping containers mm-hmm. so i look for geometry i look for color combinations and I'll just turn. And in this case, I was looking at something else thinking, Oh no, no, this isn't quite working. Turned around and saw this shot and saw the sudden juxtapositions of things and took it. And what I then do is come back and really look at it again on the computer when I'm going through the editing process, which is the important part for me, really.
1: You know, I was going to ask, with your background in special effects and, and in film, whether post-production received, you know, even if we're just talking 51%, does post-production receive the majority of your attention? It does.
0: Yes, I'm a huge advocate of uh, digital technology. Um, I'm not a film romantic at all. In fact, I, I'm rather pleased to have gotten rid of some of the fussiness of film. <laughs> <laughs> I never had my own dark room. But still the whole process of of getting access to dark rooms and then going through the chemicals and the negatives and the prints. And when I was working in special effects, we were also working with film very largely and you'd have to do multiple passes through cameras to get mats. Right. And there was a whole sort of taking it off to the lab to get processed before you could see what was going on. But now digital, it's all digital in cinematography and, uh, I think it's fantastic.
1: Well, th- this, this image. It is really almost deceptive in its simplicity because you start to unpack it and, and you start looking at the lines and the angles uh, just in the door and the shadow on the door, the way the door works with the windows to left and right and the windows not being exactly balanced on either side of the door. You look at the old wooden steps, you look at the cracked kickboard on there. I mean, it's just magnificent. And then you put in that blue rubbish bin uh, with the yellow top. It it just, it pops. It, it's one of those, really simple images that becomes unsimple, the more and and more you look at it. The most recent picture you put up on frames, a black and white image of some corrugated steel. Tell me about that one.
0: I've done several of corrugated steel, so maybe if you could tell me a little bit more of this particular image.
1: This is, it starts with a brick uh, area on top, which is only about halfway through the screen. Then there's a light-color corrugated area, then a darker area under that. looks like oh something on the roof of a building.
0: Okay, yes. Well, that was um, a local supermarket, and this was a very, very recent uh, shoot. I'm uh, sort of confined to walking at the moment because my car is, I can't, uh, is damaged. And uh, So, yes, this is just a walk up to a local shopping centre and I like going behind shopping centres because that offers uh, some interesting potential and this is the side of a supermarket and the corrugated and the brickwork offer just an interesting sort of combination of um, geometry and shape and line and pattern. So that one's really I like to go front on. To flatten uh, images, to to focus
1: on the geometry. Well, tell me what is what is appealing about geometry? Because I'm looking at this image, and again, this is another one that your first glance you think you know there's not an awful lot here. You spend a microsecond more than that, and you start to realize, oh, there's actually quite a lot going on here. But what is it about geometry that is visually appealing? It
0: is a sense of harmony. This kind of, we can relate this to music. Uh, Again, I think we have different areas in our lives. People have different skill sets. So some people will have a real sensitivity to music and to harmony in music. They will hear the patterns. Uh, Some people are a little bit dead to that. Some people feel those patterns and harmonies in food. So you get the gastronomic arts, but in visual arts, uh, we can talk very much formally about uh, harmony, giving a sense of satisfaction to, to the viewer. Some people will look at it and they won't, they won't get it. Yeah, it's the same with music. Some people are, don't hear music. Some people see patterns in colour, in form, in photography and I- isolating those patterns
1: into the frame. Why did you put that one in black and white?
0: I think I look at it in colour, I'd look at both and if the colour doesn't really kick and there isn't enough harmony in the colour, you kick the colour out to have a look at it in black and white and somehow or other it's, it's better in black and white. For me, colour has to be fairly harmonious. There has to be some sort of design element in the colour for me to put it in colour.
1: Let's take just a quick break. We hope very much that you are enjoying today's episode. The very fact that you are listening to this podcast suggests that photography means a lot to you. And if that's the case, you might wanna have a look at Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. We truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit readframes.com to find out more about our publication. And now, back to today's conversation. Well, that's that's really cool because there's, there's another picture here of yours I want to talk about. Uh, and this is the one, the giant red sign on the side of, of a shop that says, Big Brands Cheaper Than Home Brand Prices. Um, oh, okay. And, and it would be tough to use the word harmony there. This is triple forte trumpet blast in terms of uh, color here. I, I want to ask several questions about this image, and it's no. a mag, it's a magnificent picture. You you say it has blunt graphic appeal, yeah. And I and I loved that phrase. So so talk to me about bluntness. Talk to me about volume, and, and tell me the story of this image.
0: Well, again, that's the same day as the um, corrugated one we were just talking about, and okay. um, that is. Again, the same shopping strip and I'm walking around on a quiet Sunday. I prefer the quiet days because we don't get cars in parking lots getting in front of the shop. And I'm just walking around seeing what I can see and this shop front just hits me because it's brilliant yellow, there's red there, the shopping cart's just sitting there, it's got red and yellow on the shopping cart. And I think, well, okay, so let's have a look at that. And again, this is edited, so to pull in the image a little bit more, and I've actually um, used um, Erasure to get rid of um, a brand name okay. on the image. Just because the red and the yellow and the, the pure graphic appeal and the message too, it's just trying to sell you and it's very <laughs> blunt in the way it's trying to sell you cheap, um, good. The, the shop, by the way, is closed. So it's obviously failed as a discount center, but it's really a rather crude attempt to grab your attention. But I found that interesting.
1: T- tell me about the shopping cart and tell me about the graffiti on the wall off to the right.
0: Ah, yes. Well, that's again, just happens to be there. i decided to include it in the shot. I do have other images, which I haven't yet published, of that wall round the back. It's just, again, around most cities as you do now, you get walls that are are graffitied and they attempt uh, at some sort of wall art or public art. It's a little bit more random but it's a little bit more sophisticated than your usual tagging. But Melbourne and also uh, the city of Ballarat has some very good graffiti and um, uh, public art
1: well one of the things that i really love about this image you know is you know you see the, the red sign immediately and, and you get the you know as i said triple forte trumpet blast of what's going on there and then you realize the store is closed and then you realize it's all, it's unpopulated nobody's around that shopping cart which is lined up very nicely you know but has a different set of line than the rest of it also has some garbage in it i mean it, it it's clearly emblematic or, or evocative of a kind of disarray or, or dis, disillusionment. And then you've got off in the background, the completely unformal graffiti. Um, so you, you have a, an absolute contradiction sitting just right around the corner, you know, something more nuanced, more color sensitive. The, the narrative here the composition of narrative, I think, is extraordinary for, again, what is a deceptively deceptively simple image at the beginning. Do you think, in, when you talk about harmony, do you think about story as well? Do you think about sort of, you know, a, a layered narrative, or is that not part of what you're shooting for?
0: No, it's definitely there, and I do see it at the time that I take the image. Okay. But in a very broad sense, I often find that when I come back and I'm starting to edit and go through the uh, images, I see the narrative there and then I I'd frame it and edit it to to really pull that out. So yes, I did notice that to the side and, and that shopping cart was included, the rubbish in the shopping cart. These were visual elements that does exactly tell that story. I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that because that's what I thought of it too. There is a companion to sh- uh, shop to that too, which is Right next door, it's the same shopping complex,
1: and it just says open seven days. Yeah, the, the yellow the, the yellow type on the dark window, yeah, I, I know yeah. that one.
0: Yeah, and uh, if you have a closer look at the door, there's
1: cobwebs on the door. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not open seven days at all. It's closed. Yeah. It was open for seven days in 1973. The- yes, well-
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, all random seven days throughout the year. It doesn't you know, specify. There's an ambiguity in the message.
1: That, you know, photographers often seek out irony or contradiction um, as a subject matter. And certainly that's an element in some of your work. But, but I want to go back to this issue of boldness, um, or as you say, blunt graphic design. You seem to have a real affinity for bold lines, bold colors. Again, what are you saying with that?
0: I don't know that I'm saying anything specific other than I love that sense of design. Um, If I'm going around saying taking uh, shots of the city, I'm looking for facades, I'm looking for geometry, and what I'm doing when I'm coming back and editing is I'm altering the geometry because getting rid of that tilt, the fact that that happens when you're shooting up at a building. So I do love to tweak particularly the vertical aspect of a shot so that I'm coming in front on and I'm trying to centre, get a sense of harmony in what I saw in the first uh, instance and then bring that back out when I edit the process. So I'm very fussy in particular about the frame and centering and getting proportions right. So the left edge is the same as the right edge top and bottom and so forth.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, There seems to be a contradiction to that in your work, though, because a lot of your work is black and white hedgerows and and small trees and plants and stuff. So not only have you taken the color out, but now you've got, yes, you still have a sense of shape, but you don't have that kind of hard angle stuff. Why the affection for the interest in black and white shrubbery?
0: Oh, well, it's shape, again. And because often that shrubbery there's an odd shape about it. Now, when I talk about a love of formality, I also appreciate when it goes wrong or it's slightly off kilter uh, or somebody's tried to create a shape with the tree and it hasn't gone quite right or it doesn't seem to be in the right place. So I'm as interested in when things go slightly askew, when there's a slight element of chaos or a bit of a disruption, or even a bit of humor uh, in in um, what's before me.
1: Oh, absolutely! You know, in, in music, syncopation is you know as much a, a foundation of a classical understanding as anything else. And the rest, the silence, is an important note too. So, I mean, I understand that that difference between you know yin and yang, one side and the other.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I'll see somebody place a plant uh, in their garden and go, well, that's an interesting placement. And if I can have a look at that and sort of isolate that in some way to point out that this is just peculiar.
1: You have an image. uh, I don't know if it has a title, but it's three very tall, skinny trees, two in front and one behind a garage at somebody's home. Do you know what image I'm talking about?
0: I I do, and again, this one is on my um, normal Facebook page. I haven't yet put it on the Frames uh, Facebook well, page.
1: Well, th- this one is is remarkable for all sorts of reasons. But again, just walking by and you happen to see it. How did this one come to be?
0: Well, this is just around the corner. I've been taking a lot of images just in the streets by, and this partly has to do with COVID, being in lockdown here in uh, Victoria, but also throughout my for photography back in, back in the 80s and so forth, I would just walk around the streets and just try to see if there was anything of interest locally. And this one is just around the corner. I've walked past it on my way up to the, the shopping centre where I buy my supplies, my vittles. <laughs> and um, I happened to be on the other side of the street. The light seemed to be just right and I stood back and had a look at it and came back with the camera. And took that image, and yeah, it was just I got the angle of the trees so that they were uh, there was a harmony when the the three go a little bit further that way and it's not quite the same sort of balance. I tried to get the one tree in the centre and frame it so that it was that there was a balance between the three. But yeah, it's just three huge trees in a suburban garden, and that in itself is just a bit peculiar
1: again, with so many of your images, the more you spend with it, the more you know, I start just smiling because I'm discovering things. Yes, they they are unusual trees, but you've also got in the lower left of this frame, you've got what looks like, you know, a series of um, hedgerow bushes that are all bisected by a fence um, as, as, if, as if they're being cut by a knife. You have a car behind a gate, you have a birdbath that's unpopulated. And yet you've also got these long sweeping lines of the electrical or telephone wires coming left to right in the image. One of the things that I admire here in in all of your work is that there are so many details that your first blush, we're almost trained to ignore. The telephone wires in this image, for example, the garbage in the shopping cart of, of the other one, the cobwebs in the open seven days. There's a real strong sense of... Subplot or, or, or you know, minor character in all of your images that rise the more you look at it. Do you see that?
0: I do, and I'm glad you um see that too. Certainly, any artwork I think uh has to have plot, and if you can have subplots and then other sort of sub subplots, I think that makes for an interesting image. You might not notice it first look but there's some depth to it. So, okay, this is an image I can spend some time with. And I notice that again when I'm going through the editing process. I have fun. I sort of see the image and think, well, this has potential. Then I come back and look at it again and again and jiggle with it. And, um, and sometimes, by the way, I will actually use erasure and get rid of something
1: that's distracting from that narrative. Do you ever add stuff that wasn't there? No. Okay. You know, we could go on, you know, about about all of your images here. You've got one, I have no idea what kind of plant it is, but it's it's round like a cake layer is round. You know, it sort of, I don't know how else to describe it. And I looked at it and I thought that's the oddest looking tree I've seen in a decade. It has that kind of, you know, unusual, uh, compelling feature to it. But two that I want to talk about because they're next to each other on your website, first there is the little red scooter sitting in front of the blue-green building with the two windows. Right. You know that? Okay. Right right next to it, you have a house where the yard is just a riot of, of small, you know, wooden, cut-out Santa Clauses and elves and reindeer. And I mean, you go from a really sparse aesthetic to a really overpopulated, complicated aesthetic. Um, That's right. And and to see the two of them next to me or next to each other, I would have thought this is not the same photographer. Tell, <laughs> t- tell me where Ray Harris is between them.
0: Gosh, I mean, again, visually interesting. Really, the uh, Christmas one is a, a commentary on Australian Christmases. There's a narrative there. The small cart is, was a found moment. It was Christmas Day. I'm up here in Ballarat, I, couldn't be with family for various reasons. So I decided what I would do is go to the local supermarket area because there will be no cars whatsoever. It's all closed. And um, it was um, that little cart thing where it was just sitting there and it, I had the symmetry of the two windows. It was too good to not take an image of. That house with uh, all the Christmas um, craziness, is not too far away from the supermarkets in a nearby street Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a fairly sort of um, typical working class uh, brick veneer australian um house and they have gone to town with the decorations and it was too good not to document (laughs) again I, i took several images and what I love about that image is if you notice off in the corner, there's the ladder is still up because they haven't finished with the decorations. And for some odd reason, <laughs> there's a chair sitting on top of a table. It, it's there's a, a sense of chaos. I do like symmetry, but I also like when chaos enters into that symmetry.
1: Oh, man. One more image that I want to talk about, and, and then uh, we'll move on to, to a one last topic after that and i believe this is a little bit deeper into your website and i believe this one actually was taken in paris or at least it gives that that impression and this is a a great many books all stacked up in a window a couple oh. drainage couple, couple drainage pipes and stuff uh do you know which one i'm talking about oh yes yes okay right
0: okay. now this is a, a trip i took and uh and this is just a, a small camera, Coolpix, um, Olympus Coolpix, I think it was, only eight megapixels, I think, pocket camera. Right. And I went to Paris and London and I took a whole series of photos just walking around. I, I went to Paris and London to basically go to the galleries and then I just walked around Paris and London.
1: No other photographer has ever gone to Paris and London just to walk around. <laughs> that, that, that is probably one of the richest experiences this planet has for photographers. Right. That, uh, and then, I well, I mean, every place obviously has has a rich uh, vocabulary for photographers. But I, I want to hear you tell me the, the the story of what first caught your eye, and then how you worked this one up.
0: You can't help but notice that this person, this little shop in a side street in in Paris, and they've stacked the books up like that, (laughs) and that is just visually interesting. Mm -hmm. So I had to document it, and this is back, I think, in the early 2000s. I didn't have the editing tools, and I revisited this image uh, just recently, reworked it through um, Lightroom. And edited it, did a bit of geometry, fixed it up to to focus in primarily the shape and pattern of those stat books. It's such a peculiar thing to do. Uh, But that's the quirkiness of Paris too, you know, just the walking around the streets and and seeing these little things.
1: Well, I, I want to give you all sorts of, of kudos and praise for this image for reasons that uh, I'll explain here in a second. And, everybody, I hope you get a chance to go look at this. Um, He's dated it as December 10th, 2021. That's probably the date you posted it versus the date. Yes. Um, you know, okay. But it, it is um, five very tall, you know, like 100 books each, stacks of books in in a Parisian shop window. And you stack books, you you get vertical lines of all the the sides, yes, but of course they're not uniform. So it's sort of a zigzag pattern. But, man, I'm looking at the vertical lines of the steel that frame the shop. I'm looking at the drainage pipes. You've got the three parking stanchions out there out front, you know, all equally placed. Yes. I am also looking at the, the, the posters that are on the drainage pipes and the fact that the, the PVC, the plastic, doesn't match on the onions. The, so there's all, this, there's all this discord in there, as well as uniformity and that blunt feel. Right. Do you discover that in post or, or do you actually see that on the street?
0: That is edited from the original shot. Um, and I would be focusing particularly on those three uh, stanchions, as you mentioned, and trying to find some elements in there where I can provide some symmetry or harmony to contrast uh, with the, um, the the somewhat chaotic uh, patterning of the books. So I do edit to define to those sorts of symmetries and, and harmonies within otherwise chaotic shots.
1: You know, editing for symmetry and harmony is... Really, really a fascinating idea. We, we sit down and we edit for clarity or sharpness. You know, play with the dehaze button until we're blue in the face. But to understand that our goal is not sharp focus, but perhaps symmetry, reorients what we're doing. so okay, you've come back to photography recently. It's going well for you. What are you working on now?
0: Well, I'm. Con- I think one thing that's going to happen is that because I live in Ballarat. It happens to uh, have a photo biennale every, um, well, there's a biennale, so every two years. But out of that biennale, which has been rather successful, they're going to open up the Victorian Centre uh, for Photography oh. in, uh, in Ballarat. Um, and I will be aiming to um, exhibit. Um, they will, part of the focus of that um, centre when it opens is to assist Uh, Local photographers to um, exhibit and to get their works published in some form. Now, I had no intention of doing any of this when I picked, uh, I bought um, a new digital camera. I thought I would get some fun out of it um, and play around, but uh, largely due to the success on Frames' um, Facebook page. and the feedback I've been getting, I'm encouraged to uh, actually. Now that I'm retired, <laughs> uh, maybe re-enter photography as a career. So yes, future is probably producing a photo book uh, of some way, and then um, also um, uh, exhibiting. Uh, well, I have gone down the path of of having a uh, a website because um, I also do so- do some writing. Uh-huh. Um, so um, I found that I actually, going down the website path, I was actually spending more money than I was ever earning from it. So I would be reluctant to really go into it unless uh, I was sort of, it was paying for itself.
1: Right. Well, if you do wind up exhibiting, everyone, that's another trip to or another reason to make a good trip to Australia. I'm looking forward to it. Sir, this has been fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. Frames. Because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com.